Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you, thy words, we acknowledge, Lord, that uh, we are unworthy, that, Lord, that um, we're unworthy sinners. We thank you, Lord, that we've been reconciled to you through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. And we thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us ignorant, and that, Lord, that there are books written that we see on bookshelves and library shelves that are allegedly books of wisdom, but they contain nothing compared to even just a few words of your Holy Scripture. So we pray now, Lord, that through thy Holy Spirit that um, you will bring the, thy word alive and be instructive, Lord, to be comforting, be encouraging if we need it, and rebuking if we need it, that you can do all these things. But we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, obviously, we're going to be looking at Enoch this morning. And he's not an Old Testament character. That When you think of um, godly Old Testament characters, that readily springs to mind. You might think of David, you might think of Abraham, you might think of Daniel. Not many people think about Enoch, possibly, as I said, just after the reading, because there's only 51 words in Scripture that relate to him. But as an introduction, there are, there are two almost unique things about him. First one is that there's only him and Noah who is described in God's holy word as walking with God and it's only him and Elijah who did not die physically did not see death but was taken straight up to heaven now as we're aware he's uh, what theologians uh, fancy call an anti-deluvian character that he lived prior to the flood and as was common with um, people before the flood they lived an awful long time he lived 365 years one year for every day of the year and he had a son who uh, Methuselah who didn't die until he was 969 years so these were, lived for a long, long time. It must have been a nightmare for if they had pensions or anything at that time, working out their, their pensionable age. But I want us to look at five things this morning about Enoch. We're going to look about the fact that he pleased God, that he had faith in God, he walked with God, he witnessed to God in his life and he was taken to God without dying. So let's look first of all the fact that Enoch pleased God. We turn to Proverbs chapter 11 verse 20. A very instructive uh, verse in, in, in the light of um, what we're going to see about that Enoch. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 20 
says, those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. Enoch had a blameless heart. He was full of integrity. And Enoch pleased God. That's amazing to think that a human being can please God. But Enoch pleased God because his pleasure was in God. In one of these um, poetry books that I've come across, there's a, an, a poem or just a couple of lines from it. We don't know who wrote it. It's anonymous. But it's very true. It says, the heart is known by its delights and pleasures never lie. And John Piper is quoted as saying, to know a soul's proportions, you need to know its passions. So we learn a lot about a person's character, which is in many ways invisible, by what thrills them, what pleases them, what are they passionate about and when we think about this we, we we should ask ourselves what really thrills us and pleases our heart this morning perhaps it's for some of us it's work perhaps that's one of the last things that pleases us but for some people it's work perhaps it's money or possessions perhaps it's entertainment or sport perhaps it's your children that you're passionate about, or your grandchildren. Now, yes, these things can give you pleasure, but they're only signposts to the creator and author of those things, our God. They're not ends in themselves, but they're secondary to pleasuring God in themselves. I mean, people have made... The error in, in past years of becoming sort of what I call ascetic. They sought to withdraw from the world because they don't want to be um, enthused about things to do with the world and want to concentrate on thinking about God. But that's not what God's planned for us in this world because we are in this world. We're not of this world, but we're in this world. Yes, we can um, be excited we can be pleased by, by these things that we've mentioned, but we must always see them not as an end in themselves, not as a purpose in our lives. The purpose in our lives is pleasing God, and we should always thank God for them and ask God that we never get them out of proportion. So, he pleased God. The next question to ask and the next thing to, um, to look is how did he please God? What was it about Enoch that pleased God? Well, Hebrews gives us the answer, doesn't it? We turn to, to Hebrews. It says that at the end of verse 5, that he pleased God. And then it goes on to verse 6, chapter 11. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. So he pleased God because he had faith. 
And that's very apt, isn't it, as we're celebrating 500 years since the beginning of the Reformation. And the truth there is that it's only faith in God that brings his acceptance of us. It's only faith in God that makes God pleased with us. It's not church attendance on its own. It's not fulfilling certain rituals. It's not determination that I'm going to be better tomorrow. It's not giving money to this cause and that cause as laudable as those things are is that it's impossible to please God other than through faith. What does it say we've just read? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. There is no other way. There is no way this morning that you can be said to please God if you do not have faith. But it's not any faith. Yes, faith is our only lifeline. But the next verse says that it's not any faith. Remember the old song, well, it's not that old really, from George Michael. He used to say, you've got to have faith. And sometimes when you, you speak to people and they say, oh yeah, you've got to have faith, haven't you? You know, we said, you know, it's important, isn't it? You've got to have faith. Well, no. It, the next verse explains what that faith must be. First of all, it says, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. So first of all, that faith must be in the right God, must be in the true God. The NIV says you must believe that God exists, and, but it's more than that. You must believe that he is. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's two things to mind. If you go back to the beginning of Exodus, when Moses was at the burning bush, and God said, I am who I am. And when you go and tell Pharaoh, because Moses just said, what shall I say to him? What's my authority? You say to him, I am has sent me to you. And he'd said earlier that the I am is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You must believe that he is. You must believe that he is the God of the scriptures. Can we turn to John chapter 8 for a few minutes? John chapter 8, verse 56 to 58. Jesus speaking here. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years of old, and you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So we must believe in the right God. That's the first thing. We must believe in the God who was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who created, 
the world, who keeps it going. Jesus came in the flesh, God in the flesh, died on the cross to reconcile his chosen ones to himself. We must believe in the true God. So if somebody believes in the God of the JWs, they're wrong. The God of Islam, they are wrong. God of the Mormons, they're wrong. The first thing is that you must believe in the right God, the true God. But Hebrews goes on a little bit more than that because it's not just believing about God. It says, doesn't it, that Satan does that. We must believe in God. We must know God. It's not just knowing about God. We must know God personally. And that goes on to the second part of that verse in verse 6. For he comes to God, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we must believe that this God, these truths about this God, but this is a personal God who will reward those who earnestly seek him. We come to a God who can be known if we turn from our sin and trust in Christ's savings work. And what's that reward? Who's a, is a reward in God? Is it rewards of forgiveness of sin, joy, hope, and the promise of heaven. Scriptures say, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. One writer said, there's almost like a rigged game of hide and seek. And it made me think of um, when of my, uh, uh, my grandchildren, um, Erina, comes to, to our house. She loves to play hide and seek. And I love to play hide and seek with her. And she said, it's my turn, it's my turn, Grandad. And she runs upstairs, and, uh, and it's my job to find her. And so I go upstairs, and I say, I think you're in the bathroom. And she said, no, I'm not, Grandad. I'm in the bedroom. And she wants to be found. And our God wants to be found by the... Those who are earnest, those who are repentant, those who trust and cling to Jesus as their only hope. It's not a God who finds some difficult place that nobody will ever find them. When my own children were small and we used to play hide and seek, I used to go out and hide in the shed and they never found me. But God's not like that. If you turn to him and turn from your sin and trust in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, earnestly seek him, he will be found. So he pleased God. He had faith. We now come to perhaps uh, one of the things that's often spoken about Enoch. He walked with God, as I said before, only Noah was described as a saint who walked with God. Of course, there was Abraham who walked before God, the Israelites, and 
Exodus were described as people who walked after God. But Enoch walked with God. What a demonstration, what an illustration of close and intimate union and relationship with God. Perhaps it was like what it would have been like Adam and Eve had experienced before the fall. That intimate communion with our God. Now, when I was younger, there was an expression, you know, if, you, if, if a couple started um, being serious with each other, they were described as, as going out with each other. Do you remember that expression? Don't you hear that now, do you? But even before then, even before I was uh, born, they used to say it's, they're walking out together. You see some of these old period dramas. Our, our Bethany and our Elias are walking out with each other. And what they meant was that they would become an item. They were identifying with each other. And my dad used to tell me a story which I always found absolutely amazing. Because my dad was the prince of inactivity. He believed that his lower limbs were only created to manipulate, to, to touch the brake, clutch and accelerator. But he told me that when he met my mum, and that was in the VE Victory in Europe celebrations in Glasgow, that's where my mum was from, and he was uh, a naval, in the Navy, petty officer he was, and um, he met her. Uh, in the celebrations, and they were immediately st- struck by each other. And he walked her home, and it was nine miles. And he walked back, and he got into trouble because he was late for reporting on the ship. And he's told me, I never felt any tiredness. I never even thought of being told off. Because I was in love. I was in love. And if you'd have known my dad, he must have been in love (laughs) to have walked that distance and not told her to get a bus. (laughs) But you see, he was taken up with her. And it's a picture, a small picture of what Enoch was like with God. And it also reminds me of the, as your children get a bit older, it's rare, it's not very often that you're all together as the, the, the immediate family, in my case, uh, myself, my wife and my, my three daughters. And sometimes we are, we went on a holiday together and you feel great, you know, because they're part of your family, they're sort of identified with you and you think, yeah, we're all here. You know, you, you get on so well. Well, you do until they disagree about where you're going to go next. But you feel at one day you, that identity as a family, you know. And this is a picture of, a small picture of what it must be like for Enoch. But what did it mean for Enoch? And what does it mean for us today if we are truly seeking to walk with God? Well... There's a few things, there's many things you can say, but there's just a few that, um, that sprung to mind. Well, the first one is that you can only walk with God if you're reconciled together. 
that famous verse in Amos, chapter 3, verse 3, is that you can't walk together unless you are agreed. So if no unbeliever would feel accepted in God's presence, more than that, no one who's in a backslidden state will feel accepted or happy in God's presence. They'll feel estranged. So Enoch was reconciled with God. Second thing was that he was identified with God. To use that term I mentioned before, he and his, without in any way trying to sound frivolous, he and his God were an item. They were together. He was defined by his relationship with God as a godly man. Indeed, he would preach against those, for we read in Jude, didn't we, who perverted God's word or rejected God, those who were ungodly. He and his God were so close. Is that how you would define yourself this morning? So he's reconciled, he's identified with God. He sought to please God. If you're with somebody, if you're um, caught in, to use the old fresh expression, close to somebody, your marriage partner, you should seek to please them. You'd, you, it says in the Bible that two become one, that your wills are surrendered to one another, and that's how it should be if you're walking with God. Your will should be surrendered to what God wants. We used a good example, I think, in the children's story with Lot. His will wasn't surrendered to God. He didn't pray to God. He didn't think of Abraham. He just thought of himself. At that time, he was estranged from God. And if we seek to please God, we get upset when we're at odds with him, when we rebel against him, when we sin against him, when we disobey him. And another aspect of walking with God is that there's a mutual confidence in each other. That we can trust God in all situations. God is with us. It doesn't matter what life throws up at us. We can trust God to bring us through. And it works the other way in a strange sort of way. If we are walking with God, God will trust us with particular service particular witness to people, particular situations, because he knows that he can trust us to do his will through them. And perhaps if we're not progressing in the Christian life, if we're not moving in his service and becoming more and more used of God, our Christian walk is wrong. God is not able to trust us to do things so there's a mutual confidence there's also when we're walking with God a calm and joy during trials or disappointments or discouragement and that is so relevant to Enoch's life if you to read the 
uh, the surrounding verses about Enoch, particularly the ones that go before, he was faced with terrible wickedness. Um, It's often compared with Lamech, who was a a murderer um, and lustful, arrogant man. And he was the seventh in line from Cain. But Enoch was the seventh from Adam through Seth. What a, a difference in character. One who walked with God and the other one who was just out for himself in whichever wicked way he could do it. So he, when you walk with God and you face situations that are really difficult, perhaps you work in a, a place where you know, there's, there's outright hostility to God, there's outright sin in terms of blasphemy, stealing, gossip. You're walking with God. You can remain calm and joyful during such trials or disappointments, discouragement or prevailing wickedness. And there there are some in the fellowship that we know of and I'm sure there are some that we don't know who are going through real difficulties at this time. And we just pray that they realise that as believers, they have a walk with God. Cling more closely to him through prayer, meditation and studying his word. And perhaps slightly related to that as well, that it will preserve us, if we're walking with God, it will preserve us from bad company and bad influences. Because how can we give ourselves over to bad company and bring them in? to our walk with God and bad influences. And it's so crucial in Enoch's day and so crucial in our day. And if we're walking with God, we'll have a clear direction and path to our life. Think of Pilgrim's progress as he walked with God as we journey through this life to heaven. And then lastly, it's very And I think it's a great idea, Um, you'll often read in in Christian literature, about how helpful it is to have an accountability friend as a Christian. Somebody who you can tell what your difficulties are, what your problems are, uh, or your temptations that you struggle with. And this person you'll be open to and they'll feel able to sort of um, pray for you talk to you about what that you should be doing, helping them, and also to you have to sort of account to your life to them and how helpful it is. But in many ways, if we're walking with God, we have an accountability friend, don't we? We have our Lord. We have God who we can come to when we're going through these difficulties and that are affecting our walk with him. And we can come to him and seek his counsel. We can seek his strength through the Holy Spirit to help us through them. And there's just two other points I want to say about Enoch's walk with God. It was for 300 years. He had Methuselah when he was 65 and it says he walked with God for the rest of his life. 300 years, it's just amazing to think that he walked with God for that length of time. And in a way... It's, it's, it's something to think about because sometimes, you know, for Christians, they struggle when they start having a family. Sleepless nights, 
life dominated by this squalling child. And sometimes the spirituality suffers. There are times of reading the Bible and prayer. They struggle with them. Not with Enoch. He began when he, he had a mysterious limb. Perhaps he thought to himself as well, I'm not just accountable for my own walk with God, but I have got dependents who also need my advice, my prayers and my counsel. And then the other thing, can we turn to Micah chapter 6 verses 8, a well-known verse. Because you might say, well, yeah, but that was Enoch. You know, he was a godly man. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not like that. How can I walk with that level of closeness, that level of intimacy with God? We could turn to um, it's Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and it's Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? That's you and I. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's for us all to get that intimate and close relationship with God. Next two things are a bit more brief. Next one is that he witnessed to the salvation and judgment of God. Just turn again to those verses in, in Jude, the book before Revelation, verses 14 and 15. He didn't remain quiet. He was walking with God. He's, God was pleased with him. He was pleasing God. He couldn't stay quiet when he was faced with this wickedness and this evil. And he warned them of the judgment to come and what would happen to them if they remained in their sin. And everyone thinks, don't they, that their age is so much worse than the past. Well, he lived in a really wicked time. It was full of people, full of relatives, family who were wicked. Everything they did, they did for themselves and to themselves. God was not in the picture whatsoever. But he preached against it. He had a burning desire to warn them of the judgment. And there's a stress, isn't there, in those verses on the word ungodly. And that's what he, the times that he was faced with. And we must follow his example, is that we must witness to those. And Calvin writes that he would have preached for them to be convicted of their ungodliness. And then he would tell them about the coming judgment of God. So he witnessed to the salvation and judgment of God. So he pleads God. And faith in God, he walked with God, he witnessed to the salvation and judgment of God. And lastly, as I said, only Elijah had this experience. He was taken up to be with God. He was as if he was sort of walking on this earth one minute in the earthly realm, and then the next minute he was translated. Some of the versions use that word translated into the heavenly realm. To be with his God. 
no physical death, no funeral. I mean, if, you, if he was to have uh, an epitaph, you would say he was a man who walked with God uh, on his tomb, but he didn't need a tomb because he didn't die. It says in Scripture that he was not found. And that was like the other man who went up with the chariots of fire, Elijah. Fifty men for three days went in search of him. And this verse, this, these words, was not found, mean that he was searched for. And you would search for somebody, wouldn't you? You think of the people who, in that terrible tragedy in Manchester, and they hadn't heard from them, and they were desperately searching for them. And sadly, it was bad news. So if somebody suddenly disappears, even if he was unpopular to a lot of people because he was preaching against their wickedness, they went searching for him. And it was definitely, if you look at um, the, those verses, so just turn for a, a few moments to Genesis. If you look um, in, in chapter 5, there's a, um, there's a phrase that crops up time and time again. It says, doesn't it, talks about Adam, 930 years and he died. And then it sort of says about Seth and he died. And Enosh, he died. So they all died right through that till we get to Enoch. And he didn't die. He was taken bodily up to heaven. Now why does, did that happen? Well, we, we can... We can surmise. It was a reverse, certainly, of the pattern in those verses. Um, and it would be like, it would be a similar experience for those who are still living on this earth when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. But he was translated, wasn't he, from one realm to another. Perhaps the reason, we can, we can think of what the reasons were, perhaps at the time, it was for God to convince a hard-hearted, ungodly, as it says in Jude, world, that God does honour faithful people. There weren't many of them about, you get the impression, but God honours them. And if you're in the faith, God will honour you. Perhaps it also showed that Satan hadn't won when Adam and Eve fell. He hadn't got the, the final victory. God has the final victory and it was shown in such a clear, majestic, marvellous way as Enoch was taken bodily into heaven. God would also show that people can get to heaven through faith, that there is a heaven. There is, as Hebrews says, a reward for the faithful. There is a life to come, and there is. But also, touching again, as in said in Jude, there's going to be a judgment. There is a hell for the ungodly, for those who continue in their sin and refuse to believe and put their trust in God. Just to conclude, when I was preparing this, I kept having thinking in my mind um, an old song that was uh, 
beloved of, um, of gospel singers. You don't hear it as much. And um, the chorus is, Just a closer walk with thee, granted Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. It starts off because it's based on 2 Corinthians 13, 4. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk, let me close to thee. Through this world of toil and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? None but thee, dear Lord, none but thee. And then it ends, when my feeble life is o'er, time for me will be no more. Guide me gently, safely, oh, to thy kingdom shore, to the shore. Perhaps little is known of Enoch, as I said, only 51 words refer to him in scripture. But there's so much to learn, isn't there, from those few words. He was a man who pleased God. He was a man of faith. He was a man who daily walked in closely communion with his God. He witnessed to God and he was taken to be with God without seeing death. In a way, Enoch is like a, a mirror to bring up towards us. And how do we meet when we look at the reflection of Enoch? There's so much we can learn and there's so much we can put into practice. Amen. Amen.